Hello and welcome to our deep dive on Turkey. My name is Luca Rossi and I'm a senior reporter here at Reorg. With me, I have distressed that analyst Ben Kovacka and emerging market reporters Bianca Borer and Jordan Bintcliffe. Turkey has been dominating the news since the beginning of August. Turkish lira is down 60% from the start of the year, while inflation hit 15.9%, a 14 years high. Additionally, the country's main stock index lost 24.5% of its value year-to-date. Some Western credits have been hit by the Turkish lira fall, namely the Italian construction company Astaldi, which is struggling to sell its stake in the third Bosphorus bridge, and the Greek gaming group Intralot, whose bonds went down around 20 points as the company makes 21% of its last 12 months EBITDA in Turkey. So Ben, could you please describe the situation and how we got here? Thanks, Luca. So Turkish Lira has been suffering since 2010, driven by the structural problems of the Turkish economy. This has been driven mainly by construction and consumption, financed through foreign borrowings, driving a sizable current account deficit. The deficit stood at $3 billion in August, down from nearly $6 billion in July. The rolling deficit is at 5.5% of Turkish GDP. The country's current account deficit has expanded significantly since 2004, in particular after 2008, helped by the ultra-loose monetary policy of developed nations. At the same time, the country also ran a fiscal deficit, and the corporates raised a significant amount of borrowings in foreign currencies too, with total country foreign currency debt at about 55% of GDP, or $466.7 billion against about $131 billion of foreign exchange reserves. 70% of the foreign debt belongs to the private sector. Current account benefited from the low oil prices for a while, but it's ballooned back since, as the oil prices grew. So Turkish uh, currency lost momentum in late 2016 on security risks, rising oil prices, and supply shocks, among others, which led to first declines in lira and increases in inflation. The external shocks to the country, along with the political situation, result in a feedback loop between inflation and falling currency, exacerbated by oil shocks. In 2017, GDP increased 7.4%, but in dollar terms, the economy actually declined. The growth has been also contentious, built on consumption and fueled by borrowing, especially from outside. Now, generally, a rate rise would be a lever to attempt to stabilize the currency by attracting outside capital and slowing down the economy. However, Erdogan expressed desire for interest rates to fall to spur economic growth. He also previously called interest rates the mother and father of all evil, and his new presidential powers include being able to appoint the governor of central bank. And he also appointed his son-in-law, Berat Albayrak, to run the treasury ministry. Albayrak, like Erdogan, said in one of his speeches that both interest rates and inflation will decline, but that seems like a very unlikely scenario given the current situation. Central Bank did not raise rates as Lira plummeted, putting in question its independence. However, there are signs of attempts on the part of Central Bank to circumvent Erdogan's dislike of interest rates. From August 13th, the bank stopped lenders from drawing liquidity through usual auctions of one-week cash, getting them to borrow overnight instead. In effect, what this did is that it forced the banks to borrow at 1.5 percentage points higher. This backdoor move, however, was far from what markets required to be calmed down.
So we basically have seen almost a political battle between Erdogan and Donald Trump. What was the main trigger of this? One of the triggers for the accelerated fall is a dispute with the US over detention of an American pastor, which led to doubling customs on steel and aluminum and a round of sanctions on Turkey's justice and interior ministers. Ever since, the conflict has been escalating, with Turkey imposing sanctions back on American electronics, excluding cell phones, and doubling customs on American cars, alcohol, and cosmetics. Erdogan framed the US sanctions as economic war, ultimately blaming the outside force for deterioration of Turkish economy, and he also threatened to find new friends. The rift between the West and Turkey is nothing surprising, as the country has engaged in a number of controversial actions. For example, Turkey purchased Russian surface-to-air missiles, not compatible with NATO defenses. NATO officials have warned Turkey about unspecified consequences of purchasing the S-400, but Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan has said that uh, his ties with NATO remain strong. Thanks, man. That's very interesting. Where does the banking uh, system stand? And uh, are there any weak links, uh, rising non-performing loans, foreign currency liabilities and lack of liquidity? Uh, so the usual red, flag red flags. So the capital positions of the banks in Turkey, while relatively strong, has been eroded by the currency's fall. On average, the CET1 ratios fell by about 60 basis points. This excludes Yapi Bank, which went through a rights issue at the same time, which offset the fall. Now, this is primarily driven by an increase in risk-weighted assets, which grew on the currency's decline. The RWAs increased 13% on average over the period when Lira weakened 22%. 44.6% of total assets were denominated in foreign currencies across the seven banks we York looked at on average. Specifically for loans, 40.9% of them were denominated in foreign currencies. Majority of the bank's funding for the assets comes from deposit, which comprise 60% of the bank's foreign currency liabilities. On the balance sheet, Akbank, Guarantee, Isbank, and Yapi have FX exposures between 25 billion liras and 35 billion liras, while Halx is much lower. Now, all of these balances are offset by short off-balance sheet FX position of the banks, but this does not filter in RWAs which explains the increases in the RWS as the currency declined. Based on the decline in the capital adequacy ratios in the first half uh, across the banks, the capital ratio drops by an average of 47.6 basis points to a 10% uh, decline in lira. Since the end of the first half, the Turkish lira declined by a further 35.2%, which, which suggests capital erosion of about 170 basis points on average across the banks. Okay, Ben, can you please uh, break this down on a single name level? The four banks with the lowest CET1 levels are Halkbank, Isbank, Vakifbank, and Yapi Credit, with 11.4, 11.5, 11.8, and 10.7% respectively. Now, this translates into 2.9 point, 3 point, 3.3 point, and 2.2 point headroom above the minimum requirement as of the end of first half. Most banks in the analyzed sample have further tier 2 capital buffers between 2.2% to 3.3%, except for Hulk, which has a comparatively low 1.3% tier 2 buffer. However, Hulk is issuing up to 5 billion Turkish lira in tier 2 instruments with various maturities up to 12 years. This has been approved by CMB, the Capital Markets Board of Turkey, and will contribute up to 2 points in tier 2 regulatory capital 
based on RWA as of first half. This could be adversely affected by US-imposed fine on Hulk from the Department of Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control due to gas for gold scandal, which we will talk about later. At the Liras low of 7.1 Liras per dollar, the CT1 ratio for Yapi is projected to fall as low as 7.9%, extrapolating based on the capital ratio sensitivity to FX. Yapi is interestingly also the weakest in terms of balance sheet quality with 3.8% NPL ratio as of first half end. So as the CT1 ratio falls, uh, what is the implication on uh, tier 2 capital? Another interesting feature of the tier 2 subordinated bond documentation is that it does not have a capital ratio bail-in trigger and the bonds only feature a non-viability bail-in trigger resulting in write-off only upon losing uh, going concern status or license. On the balance sheet side, NPLs remain low for now, about 3% of the uh, uh, with the highest being YAPI at 3.8%. However, NPLs would be like a lagging indicator as the impact of low currency and high inflation makes its way through the system. Interestingly, the LTM first half provisioning on the income statement increased 69% on average with the highest increase for Akbank, guaranteeing its bank, for which it grew 194%, 56.8% and 54.1% respectively. So let's focus on Health Bank for a while. Beyond the common factors impacting the whole sector, there is the gas for gold scandal. We have one of Reorg's emerging market reporter here, Jordan Bincliffe. Jordan, can you give us a brief background of the situation? Hi, Lucas. So, uh, yes, the gas for gold scandal in 2012 and 2013 involved Turkey exporting gold to Iran in exchange for Iranian natural gas. The scheme was basically put there to circumvent Western sanctions on Iran over the country's nuclear program and saw one of the senior bankers at Hauk, Mehmet Hakan Attila, arrested in 2017 for his part. In early 2018, Attila was found guilty of conspiring to evade US sanctions, essentially conspiring with others to use the US financial system to conduct tr transactions on behalf of the government of Iran and other Iranian entities barred by US sanctions and to defraud US financial institutions by concealing the transaction's true nature. He and gold trader Reza Zarab, who pled guilty, and others used deceptive measures to provide the government of Iran, Iranian entities, and entities on the sanctions list access to international financial networks. Now, the US authorities haven't provided details on the size of the fine or when it will be levied, and Hauk Bank has not been formally charged with any wrongdoing, but market estimates put the fine anywhere from between $1 and $2 billion to many multiples of that. So how does the state ownership come into play and does the balance sheet have some buffer to absorb this kind of fine? So interestingly, Turkey's finance minister, Al Barak, said on last week's call with investors that they're not expecting any sort of uh, fines on Halk Bank and that if one of their public banks were to need help, the government would essentially step in to support it. He also said that Halk Bank would be able to absorb any kind of fine. However, a fine of $2 billion is around half of the core equity tier one capital of Halk. So the bank can't easily absorb this without some sort of support. Hauk is also in the process of issuing some 5 billion lira in tier two instruments with tenors up to 12 years. This will add two points in tier two regulatory capital based on risk-weighted assets um, as of their first half. But either way, the bank will definitely fill the bite. So thanks for that, uh, Jordan. So this is likely going beyond Turkey given how connected economies are these days. Are there any channels for a financial system contagion, who is most exposed to the country at the moment? So there's a number of European lenders who hold quite chunky stakes in some of Turkey's banks and their share prices suffered in the past few weeks. 
In particular, there were price drops for BBVA, Unicredit and uh, BNP Paribas, as well as a sort of more general uh, drop in the banking uh, index for Europe. Um, BBVA, for instance, recorded 14% of its first half net attributable profit as being from Turkey. And since the devaluation of the currency, this figure will be even lower as the lira profit is converted into euros. Um, one interesting geopolitical impact of this is the idea that the European Union or its members could provide some sort of support for Turkey. There was a report this week that Germany's Social Democratic Party's leader, Andrea Nahles, said the country could provide Turkey with financial assistance, although the Berlin government released a statement to say that financial aid is not on the government's agenda at the moment. It provides an interesting glimpse of how Europe may step in to help Turkey in order that it itself benefits. Watching the situation unfold over the past couple of weeks, there are a lot of different factors pulling on this. Trump, for instance, could benefit from Pastor Brunson being brought home, winning himself the religious vote in the November midterm elections. And in Turkey, although the economy was running hot with a high level of inflation and the lira declining substantially this year, even prior to the US sanctions, the devaluation has been framed as an economic attack on Turkey. The answer to the question of who will blink first, Trump or Erdogan, is anyone's guess. So let's go back to the strength of the underlying portfolios. I have uh, Bianca Borer here uh, with me, who has been looking at the Turkish corporates. So how have local Turkish companies been impacted by all this? Um, yeah, Luca, so we've been looking at the effect on Turkish corporates since the um, crisis started. And uh, as with the banks, companies in Turkey rely heavily on US dollar funding. And with their sales revenues denominated in local currency, the devaluation of the lira has hit them pretty hard. Um, so two of the interesting corporates we've started looking at are uh, Yasar Holding and Archilic, as they both provide consumer products to the local market. Uh, their bonds took a big hit this month, with Yasser holding its 250 million unsecured euro bond that matures in 2020 with a 8.875% coupon, plummeting by a staggering 22 points this month to 69.75 earlier this week. And in comparison, it was trading above par in April. Archelic also came under pressure with its unsecured 350 million euro, 3.875% 2021 euro bond falling by seven points to 91 when the Turkish lira fell to seven against the dollar on August 15th. It was trading at 92 on Tuesday this week. So let's start with one of the companies you mentioned, Yazar. So what kind of business are we talking about? So as I mentioned earlier, Yazar makes consumer goods in Turkey. It operates in 22 countries across four segments, uh, food and beverage, coatings, so paint, tissues and other, which includes tourism. Its well-known super brands in Turkey are its food company, Pinar, and its paint producer, DYO. The group debt is 53% denominated in dollars and 5% in euros, while it receives 90% of its revenue in Turkish lira, with around 10% of its income from exports. In terms of FX exposure to the group's costs, the prices of chemicals used in its paints are correlated with oil prices, which is usually denominated in dollars or euros. Pinar's products, which are produced in Turkey, are also sold in Germany, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, the US, Azerbaijan, and its paint brand DYO also sells to Africa through its operation in Egypt. Within Turkey, the group is its biggest cold chain distributor, reaching over 150,000 sales points. 
and its paint products also reach over 20,000 sales points. In terms of ownership, the uh, founder Selkuk Yassar's family is the ultimate controlling party of the group. Its humble beginnings dated back to 1927 when Yassar opened a paint shop in the Turkish city of Izmir along the Aegean coast. So could you tell us a bit more about the company's capital structure now? Um, yeah, the company had a net leverage of 4.5 times at the end of the first quarter. In terms of bond debt, it only has one euro bond that I mentioned earlier. Altogether, the company's total debt at the end of the first quarter ended up to 2.2 billion Turkish lira. However, with the lira falling since, the notes ballooned to 1.5 billion lira on their own. And such, the debt position is likely much higher now. Going from the 2017 report and the current exchange rate of 6 lira against the dollar, the debt would be about 2.8 billion lira. So thanks, Bianca. Moving to the other corporate you mentioned, Archelic. Tell us a bit more about what they do and the exposure uh, they have to US dollar debt. So Archelic produces um, household appliances in Turkey, Romania, Russia, China, South Africa and Pakistan. With a market share in excess of 50% in Turkey's white goods, it is the largest industrial and services group in the country. In contrast to Yassar, uh, Archelic garners more than 60% of its revenue from international markets, selling to 32 countries. However, the increasing raw material prices have posed a threat to the company, with the cost of metals and plastics for Archelic's products rising over the past few years. Metal costs have gone up about 15% since March 2017, with plastic increasing by 8% over the same period. In the domestic market, commodity contracts are FX-linked, so when the lira depreciates, the costs can increase substantially. In terms of dollar funding, the group has two euro bonds, a $350 million, 3.875% unsecured note due in 2021, and a $500 million, 5% unsecured note due in 2023. Thanks for the color on uh, Yassar and Archelic. So let's go back one second to the big picture. Uh, my question is, where could this go now? Are there any triggers that could accelerate the decline? Ben? Right, so uh, let's first look at some positive scenarios. Uh, so politically speaking, the release of the American pastor Andrew Brunson uh, might alleviate the sanctions and tariffs from the US um, and prevent further escalation. Uh, but then the problem of the structural issues of the economy still remain. And uh, also what stands in the way is that you have a dynamic of these two strongmen, um, Erdogan and Donald Trump, who have been uh, kind of escalating this uh, rhetoric. And it is uh, at a point where it might be quite difficult to back down without uh, you know, ramifications uh, to their credibility back at home. So um, Erdogan is under pressure from the US to uh, release Branson, but he... Uh, he uh, once in return, uh, Donald Trump or, or the Americans really to uh, to release Fethullah Gulen, whom Turkey accuses of initiating the 2016 military coup and uh, who currently resides in Pennsylvania. Uh, and given Erdogan's rhetoric painting the West as waging an economic war on Turkey, uh, releasing Branson without getting a good trade for him would be seen as a loss uh, to the pressure from the West at home. So that is uh, not very likely to be acceptable on his side. So on the, on the policy side, a strong signal from the central bank would be very welcomed by the markets. 
And as we mentioned previously, you had this overnight uh, borrowing push, which raised the borrowing costs. Uh, but, uh, you know, this was uh, kind of uh, done in the background. And, and what you need is, is this very strong move that would uh, kind of reestablish uh, and show the independence of the central bank and, uh, and its willingness to engage uh, with the markets. Uh, and the problem there is that you have this uh, raging inflation over 15% and the hike would need to be sizable. And with the rates currently already at 17.75%, uh, the consumers and the corporates are already facing the punishingly high borrowing costs. Um, so this hike would be aimed towards hot money to stabilize the currency, to slow the vicious cycle of uh, currency falling, feel, uh, feeding into inflation and vice versa. Um, however, also this interest rate hike would only be a short-term liquidity solution and the economy would uh, require structural changes. And, and given that uh, Erdogan is, uh, is, is not a big fan of, uh, of this interest rate hike and, and likes the momentum of the, of the kind of like consumption-driven uh, growth, uh, this is, uh, you know, something that, that would uh, require a lot of kind of backtracking at home and changing. So Turkey has uh, been uh, busy also trying to drum up regional support. And they had some success uh, with Qatar pledging an investment package worth a total of around uh, $15 billion. But it's uh, unclear exactly what the investment entails, though it uh, does uh, include direct investment. So uh, while a show of support for the country, uh, this uh, once again does not address the issues which were the market. And, and look, uh, this could easily escalate, uh, which might get ugly. So U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Nukin uh, said that additional sanctions were ready if Turkey refuses to release Pastor Brunson. And although, although there has been no announcement uh, yet of what form uh, these will take, Trump did say at the White House, can uh, White House Cabinet meeting on the 16th that the previously announced tariff on Turkish aluminum will happen very, very shortly. Um, and look, more of the same could see the economy spiraling out of control. Uh, especially because of this feedback loop between uh, falling lira and inflation. Uh, and, and you do need this circuit breaker. And and we still have the worst uh, yet to see, especially as, uh, as the effects feed through the economy and kind of uh, reach, the, reach the banking system. Thanks, Ben. And thanks, everyone, for your thoughts on Turkey. Uh, we will be back for the next podcast very soon. Thank you.